Hey there, skips and skipperettes from all across the wild and untamed electronic wasteland known only as Internet Land. Welcome back to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. Well, it's been busy here at Jungle Cruise Worldwide Production Headquarters, and we're trying hard to live up to our motto, World Leaders in Adventure. We're lining up more interviews for the fall, and we should be sending you out updates every other week for the foreseeable future. Now, if you haven't yet, make sure you swing over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash junglecruise, C-R-E-W-S. That's where you can find out about the newest and most exciting news about the podcast, as well as links during the week with interesting news from the land of Disney. Now, this week's episode starts off a new two-parter for us. After having the incredible Don Chapman and the charming Don Bobs the last uh, five weeks, this week we're happy to welcome uh, two guys not named Don. Yeah, I, I know, the disappointment is palpable, but stay with me here. Skipper Wayne Martin and Skipper Pat O'Brien join us for this week's episode. Wayne has been one of the most ardent supporters of this podcast, and Pat's name has been on my radar for over two years. Together we get together at Trader Sam's and chat about their time at Disneyland and their memories of the 80s and 90s at the park. Now just a note, we do get into a lot of Disney minutiae and nerdery on this episode, so if that's your thing, this one's for you. Now we'll be back on October 14th with the second half of this interview, and we're looking forward to bringing you more as we head into the fall. That's right, the fall. And that's why this episode is officially pumpkin spice flavored. Can't you taste the pumpkiny, cinnamony goodness already? Kungaloosh, everyone, and now for Season 4, Episode 6, Two Non-Dawns. So yeah, I'll throw it on. And, um, so I mean, I'm I'm excited because uh, you're in a Scorpions cover band. How freaking cool is that? <laughs> Way cool. So I'm I'm very. You have to know. I'm, uh, I'll do the quick intros as as I always do. Uh, we haven't recorded. Got some tickets for tonight if you want. Ah, I wish that I wasn't in Pasadena because I would oh, jump all over that. that. So. Yeah. It's all right. So I've been doing this for a few years now. Yeah, we we played uh, Texas, Arizona, Mexico, uh, Nevada, all over. So yeah, that's awesome. I, you know, it's, plus I substitute for other bands too if they need a bass player. I'll, I'll fill in. So yeah, I know that there's. Um, it's kind of the era of the cool cover bands. Yeah. I mean, there's um, the one that I I was impressed with was Metalachi. Oh, it's a cool, yeah. yeah, it's a Metallica band that does all their Metallica songs in in mariachi okay, style. Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, um, I've I've seen Dread Zeppelin probably half a dozen times over the last twenty years, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm always impressed with you know a Zeppelin cover band with an Elvis impersonator. Yeah, but and for, uh, from what uh, Wheeler was saying, it's, you do a little more straight kind of a, a you know hard rockin' version. That's just a really much, yeah. really. Uh, uh, true to the original way. feel of the band. I right, was yeah. checking to see. Right Actually, um, one of the shows we did Hello, last Kirsten, year. Hello, Kirsten. Can you hear me? Um, James Kotak, who's a Scorpions actual drummer. Yep. Was at our show and he came up on stage and did a couple songs for this. That's awesome. So that was really cool. 
Nice. That's a one-time opportunity for him. Yeah. Not all for us. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah. So yeah, we've been doing it for a few years, and our singer is spot on. Yeah. Little small guy, um, great voice. And I bet it's fun when you when you do you know uh, multi bills with other cover bands covering the same time period. Yeah. So yeah, the last um, two and a half months, it's been really, really interesting with the podcast. Wayne, I know you listen. Yeah. Um, I've heard a few, yeah. Yeah, we went from starting this this new year. Sorry, it's just a little hot. <laughs> little tweaks. But we started our new season, because it's our fourth year starting in August. And we started with Don Chapman, who, I mean, if you can think of anyone more iconic in the last you know, 20, 30 years of the attraction. I mean, he really was the guiding force between the late 80s and early 90s and through the rehab. I mean, Don was the heart and the soul of, of Jungle for a very long time. Um, and then right after that, we had Don Bobbs, who had been there from 1968 to 84. Um, so, I mean, in those two guys, in five episodes, you've got this monstrous amount of history with it. And uh, the Don Bobbs episode was great because you've got... Um, his ties to you know everyone at Disney, Sherman Brothers. Yeah, I, I mean, really amazing. I, when I went into interviewing him, I didn't actually know all of that history, so it was very uh, different for me because I was just like, "Wow, here's all these names, and here's everything he did, and you know his, you know." A lot of that stuff I knew from before from working with him, but then listening to it, a lot of the stuff I I didn't know as well. It's like, oh, didn't know that, didn't know that. Yeah, no, no, it's really, really interesting. Uh, so anyway, so I was saying, so this is our sixth, sixth, this will be our sixth or seventh show of the new season. And the difficulty is that neither of you are named Dawn. <laughs> my, my dad's name is Dawn. Okay. So we, we go from, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know how to do an episode that doesn't have someone named Dawn in it. It's very confusing. Uh... So basically, we're sitting with uh, Wayne Martin. Skip, uh, we, we call everyone Skipper because you know once you're there. Uh, Wayne Martin and Pat O'Brien. Um, who? What were the what were the the years you were working for Disney? I guess is kind of the range we like to start out with. Uh, I was there from 1978 until 2001. Yep. And I started in '73 and went from '73 to '89. So yeah, so that's that's, that's a good chunk of time for. It's, they're finicky, these microphones. I actually went the first three seasons without a windscreen. Oh, and, uh, that's why you talk about... Yeah. yeah the, okay. the, the, uh, well, and I also got a new uh, piece of noise reduction software. So, yeah, I mean, let's, let's, uh, the big things we always kind of start with is what brought you to work for Disneyland? What was, what was the process that got you here? Well, I started because I always loved Disney. Uh, my mother has a horoscope, which I now have for when I was born, saying that I should be in the entertainment or uh, amusement <laughs> industry. Um, and that I didn't know until afterwards, after I started working there. But it was always some place that meant something to me, yeah. uh, coming as a guest as a child. Yeah. And when, then, when, when did you come as a kid? What was the... when? Let's see. Because you were obviously Orange 58, so 57, not, 58. So not long after opening. And yeah. Uh, a lot of that, you know, I'm five, so I didn't remember a lot. Yeah. Uh, I remember bits and pieces. I remember the stagecoach. I remember the um, the vehicles with being horse-drawn on Main Street and, and things that way because they were still around. Comes from the wagons. Uh, Frontierland being dirt. Yeah. Uh, and then getting into high school, um, 
coming down with a friend regularly. We were probably down twice a month um, because I started talking to people to find out what I needed to do to get hired in. Yeah. Um, and so I had a lot of people, especially on the west side, that knew me from that. Did, did you? And one of the things I should have asked on, and I didn't, I didn't think about it until afterwards, is did you, from the time when you were visiting as a child, did you have any like? Memento or souvenir, or was there something from your early visiting that you've held on to for your your time? I met Walt Disney. Well, that's a pretty darn good thing to hold on to. I uh, did not have a big opportunity to get an autograph or anything to do a lot of talking or or whatever. Um, but he happened to be walking down the street. Um, my aunt knew a lot of people in the entertainment industry. And so she was aware of who he was and was able to stop him and talk to him. Um, And so I got that opportunity. Oh, that's great. So, and that may be another reason or drive to push me to come. I I have sitting in a box. um, I picked it up actually at a a swap meet. Uh, Maybe Orange County, the swap meet there. But I I picked up an original 1955 Disneyland lunchbox. Oh. That didn't have the handle still. It was it was not in great condition. So no handle, it was scuffed, a little rusted. But the back plate of it is the Jungle Cruise. Uh, and all, a lot of the other stuff on the other side, there's the castle and some of the other things. But the, the Jungle Cruise got the entire back of that lunchbox. So even early on, you knew that was, you know, that was the run. But yeah, but I've, I've talked to other people who, you know, when they went in, you know, the 50s or 60s, they had, uh, someone I talked to had like, when they were like seven had gotten an ashtray which you know who knows why a seven year old wants an ashtray to keep their change in or I mean I guess kids smoked back in the 50s I maybe um, but yeah that was his big thing and he, and he still had it to the day I have I have uh, uh, some things too not from when I went but you know early collectibles but they had a special sentimental value for him so I just thought it was I've, I've never asked people you know what your collectible is what's the thing that you keep uh, that you keep from your your childhood that uh i've got a few small things like i have a, a deck of cards um a couple of old books and some of the old the big fold-up maps that they yeah. had and just a few mementos like that yeah yeah we used to come twice a year once in may on my birthday mm-hmm. and then in september or october if i recall they used to have a, a private party night called dixieland at disneyland mm-hmm. so it was the only two times we'd come that was Mid '60s to the early '70s. Did you? Did you now, Pat? As a musician, and I, I don't know. I may have to edit this through on the other side of it. But we were talking earlier. Uh, you're, you're a musician. Scorpions cover band. Um, I think I'm probably gonna. But as a musician, did you? Did you go to any of the, the concerts that were being held in the park in the '60s and the '70s? When you were here, did you go to the, the swing band with Count Basie and? Um, a little bit because since I was just a child, I was kind of tagged with my mom and dad. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, we went and I remember seeing. Um, Basically, came Count Basie at the um, Carnation, Carnation Guard, which is no longer there. But um, yeah, I remember seeing all those big bands, and of course, we couldn't sit you know, and watch the uh, the pop bands that yeah. uh, that were playing around because you know, my parents didn't like it. But um, I, I remember yeah, saw, saw, saw a lot of bands here. I remember um, Donnie and Marie were here when we came down for my ninth birthday, mm-hmm. and they were playing the Fantasyland stage. Uh-huh. Yeah. And at, at the time, I had no reference point to it, but both my mom and dad were were excited about it, and. Uh, but yeah, they they used to have these gigantic concerts that were just open to park guests, and people uh, people forget. <laughs> it's all right, Pat. Just trying to turn it off. Do what you need to do. Te- technology. It's all right. It's off. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, people forget that those concerts were were gigantic. I mean, they weren't like it is now where people hear about it online and, you know, really was uh, more of a nice little thing for park guests and for locals, but... Well, that's, that stage at Fantasyland Theater, at least whatever they're calling it now, that was the actual stage that they used for the 83S Festival. Oh. Sorry, but told. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's... You know, I, I think now it's it, they're doing... Um, they're doing like short shows on it. You know, mm-hmm. they're doing, uh, they, they've done different things like, you know, 20, 30 minute shows just yeah. to, to do it. And you know, they've had some princess stuff back there and, and things, but, uh, it's really changed because it's, you know, now if you had a, a, a major name band coming through, I mean, you couldn't fit enough people. There weren't yeah. enough seats for it yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, whereas at the time you could have a two or 3000 person group there and it would be, you know, be a decent, uh, decent amount. So, yeah. Pat, what what brought you? I mean, obviously, uh, when oh, you had you know yeah. an early love from coming and uh, uh, like like all like all kids growing up, I thought oh, it would be kind of neat to work here. And then the night of my grad night, you know, my, my buddy and I we, we came with, with with the school and walking around, going on the rides and talking to people, and thought, hey, this would be really cool to work here. So at six o'clock in the morning, our grad night was done. You know, we got in the buses. Took us back home. I was living in Glendale at the time. Got home about 7.30 or so. Showered, changed clothes, put on some nice clothes. Got my car, came right back down to apply for a job. <laughs> and, I, I was exhausted. And did you get it? I did. Of course, but that's, I did. Um, that, that would have been a lot worse story if you hadn't it was, got it the first time. <laughs> I, I applied, and then it was about, about a week, week and a half before I heard anything back. Yeah. And then um, I came down and... Um, and, and, I had to, and, to cut my hair. My hair wasn't quite as long as it is now. But, yeah. uh, my, mine grew out. I It's it's a little shorter now than it has been. But uh, I think the day after I left, uh, the goatee appeared overnight as I was sleeping. <laughs> and within a week, I had the ponytail. Yeah. Uh, it was just a natural. Like it, uh, my body had held back all of the hair growth for the eight years that I was here. And overnight, it just happened. So, <laughs> uh, Now, Wayne, did you get... Uh, where, where did you first start when you were at the park? Where was your first... Uh, I started at the Plazian Complex uh, in Foods, but I stayed as a seasonal because back then you could not transfer your pay. Yeah. Uh, and so I worked my three seasons, transferred, and was put out in the parking lot. Oh. So I... Uh, for a job, not just, you know... Yeah, yeah I, not just... I, I know some people who were put out in the parking lot because they didn't, you know... They were just like, uh, here's your... Give us your ID, go to the parking lot. That's a different kind of a, a, a story. Yeah. No, it was working in the parking lot. So I spent two years mm-hmm. so in uh, 76 I went full time and at that point I transferred or I shouldn't say transferred in the parking lot there were only eight full time positions Sure. so anybody that was full time if you weren't high seniority you got bumped inside so I went into Tomorrowland and then in 79 I was picked for opening crew on Big Thunder Mountain oh very cool and uh, we have a lot of Big Thunder uh, fans yeah. and people that you know that I've known through the years who are well. I mean, and then of course Sue Barnaby. You know, yes. no. we can tell more stories about Sue that are oh, there's stories. No, I know <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> but yeah, and then with uh, being on opening crew, I was selected as a trainer, mm-hmm. and so I spent most of my time at Thunder. But there were times when we were shut down because of yeah, lead or refurbs or. And so, at that point, I had to come over and learn other areas. So I learned uh, the shooting gallery back when it was the black powder. Yep. And then uh, 
Jungle Cruise and Carrie Ignacio, who yep. at some point you're going to be. Yeah, no, I've been talking to Carrie. We just have, have not been able to make it, it happen yet. But yeah, he's. Uh, uh, get back and we're going to do a Skype recording okay. with him. At a, uh, I think he's out of Texas now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Carrie yeah, seems like a really, really nice guy. So yeah, he's going to uh, gonna be good to chat with him. Yeah. So yeah, so you you were over Jungle like early early late seventies uh, the, then. The towards the end mid end of seventy uh, nine, uh, and gosh, I was getting it off and on because being sure. an A, there was no landlock yeah. back then. So. I would go to the parking lot most of the time during the summer, uh, and then I would basically bounce between Frontierland, Adventureland, sure. and Tomorrowland. So, uh, you know, the I mean, that's exciting, uh, working Thunder at the opening side of it, because that was a huge uh, publicity push for them. That was yeah. that was one of their biggest... Um, it opened late, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> we've heard that story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that's you know that's the time. It seems like there was someone else that I've had on who was at Thunder on the opening side of things. I'll have to go back in my, my list and see who it was. But I want to say there was someone else who was. Well, there. I know Sue was there, but yeah. she was as a regular uh, attractions host, that's hostess. Great. Back then it was hostess. Hostess, yeah, host hostess. Uh, <laughs> terminology, uh, and I'm trying to remember who else you may have. But, but it was it was in the I mean it, publicity wise it was a pretty big turning point for the park to be able to say that they had that because yes. you know and then it was that and then uh, seven or eight years later would have been splash mm-hmm. I mean that was when they were really starting to, to reinvest in the infrastructure that they hadn't in the late seventies early eighties yeah. uh, so yeah that's that's great. and then, uh, did you did you go straight into to attractions Pat or uh, I did and I didn't so I shouldn't say I didn't I did when I hired in. I, of course, wanted attractions, but all they had was custodial. Okay, well, I figured it's a foot in the door. I'm, I'm 18, I'm a teenager, first job. And so I hired in as custodial, came in for orientation and everything. They had custodial host. But when I got there, there was some mix-up or something. They said, you're not supposed to be here, you're supposed to be in attractions. So I went back to the to the um, orientation department and everything, and they, got, they said, well... Yeah, okay, yeah, you're supposed to be an attraction. So, but, so I, kind, I, kind, I kind of bounced around a bit, so by the time I got all settled, squared away, it was towards the end of the summer of 78, so I was kind of bounced around for a while. You, uh, you, you probably could have gotten out and bought a lottery ticket that day. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's pretty darn lucky yeah. to not have to... You know, so it's not, not that we don't love our custodial friends, yeah. but, oh, yeah, you absolutely. Know. So it's funny, because all my paperwork that I, that I still have, it says, as custodial host, but I never... Uh, where would you start uh, your training at? Where your, was your first attraction? Jungle. It was a jungle. Rocky Tom. It's funny. Rocky Thompson was my first lead, mm-hmm. and then 23 years later, out in the parking lot, the very last day, Rocky Thompson was my, my last lead. Well, it's nice when <laughs> it's nice when the universe provides you symmetry. Yeah. That's so. Uh, yeah, being on jungle with, with Carrie and yeah. George and, and Don, all those guys. Yeah. yeah. And I was I was on Thunder. Also, I wasn't quite 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 opening, but yeah. I was. Early days, early early days, and I was there for the first um, the first yeah. full summer. Yeah, it's um, it's you know we talked to people and they they basically said at the time that uh, jungle was something that a lot of people came in and saying here this is what I want, uh, but it was it wasn't necessarily the the prestige place. I mean, it was a lot of people just got dumped there and put there. Um, well, from what I recall, back then jungle was the place to be. Was it? Yeah, for the guys, it was. 
that was, that was well, yeah, because it was very fraternity. But as far as yeah. from the hiring side of things, it was um, uh, a lot of people just got placed there. It was a, it was an entry level uh, entry yeah. attraction, and then for a while it became you know where you would only get transferred in. Now it's back to being an entry level attraction. So it's funny how that shifts as the mm-hmm. the years go on. Yeah. So what were you guys? What were your impressions of the uh, of the? I mean, obviously you'd already been at the park quite a bit, when but the the jungle training. Did you go into it with? Uh, a little bit of a sense of awe, or I mean, was it you know probably by the time you had been there, Wayne, you know, you'd already the awe was more of watching some of the cast members, you know, some of the guys that are going around the river, around and around, and keeping it alive. I guess is how you would, you know, it's very easy to become complacent. Yeah. when you're doing it over and over yeah. uh, and as has been said in the other podcasts when you have people that get on the boat and you start going okay so anybody here speak English anybody understand English anybody you know and yeah, you know yeah you can tell as soon as people get on the boat when you're at the dock you can tell right there what kind of cruise it's going to be yeah I've done, I've done many a cruise where like Wayne says anyone speak English and you get crickets and I've done the uh, welcome to the jungle hope you enjoy the view Hang up the mic and hit. Yep. You know, because, and, and back then, though, they used to let us, a lot of times they'd come with, um, especially the uh, Japanese had their tour yes. groups. They would let us give the microphone to the tour guide. Interpreter. interpreter. And, and he would. Always he he would. That. Uh, yeah. We actually, um, I love doing that when we had the, the sign interpreters on board because there were two days a year now that um, there are sign language interpreters who are placed in the park. I don't know if it's by the park or if there's a third-party company or, a, you know, a volunteer group that comes in. But from open to close and, or open till, till uh, nighttime, you would have someone at the front of the boats interpreting your spiel into sign. Hmm. Wow. It was great because you would do four or five trips to get out of the boat, you know, four trips to get out of the boat. So I would tell the exact same jokes word for word on the first three. And then I would switch the punchlines on the fourth one. <laughs> and I thought, I thought I was so funny, I'm sure. So the uh, end of the day, the, the person who had been on my boat gets off and, and says, just so you know, all of us interpreters, we tell our own jokes most of the time. We don't even bother with what you guys have in the spiel. <laughs> <laughs> now, was the boat fully loaded with it, sign people? Yeah, or? I think that out of the eight boats, I think there was... I think one or two at a time that had, and they would they were loading through the through the exit. Oh, okay. Okay. So there was a special queue for right, it. Yeah. But I thought it was a really brilliant yeah. Uh, yeah. thing because it is a great way to get uh, everyone else to enjoy the the attraction. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was there when the when the Yuki went into service with the uh, the wheelchair lift, mm-hmm. uh, and that just added another dimension. We had to, you know, I think all of us had to adjust to it, and it took a while to get the the protocols down of it but I mean it's a great way to get people onto the boats who couldn't otherwise transfer yeah we I remember the days uh, saying it unloads you know, helping people out of the wheelchair trying to yeah you know, could, not, not lifting them because we couldn't lift but assisting holding the arm the best that we can and yeah oh and you'd stand there stand, and yeah. they would be putting all, all their the weight on, on your knees as knee. they're getting yeah on or yeah. off the boat yeah. or, or they grab your wrist as they're trying to get off and pull you in with them yeah like, no from, okay. from the safety and liability side that having a boat like that is yeah. absolutely ideal I um, I mean there, and there's always there's been shifts in, in the, the culture of the ride for you know years yes. so they get new things and you handle things differently it, it's always evolving so so what was um, so what was your training like I mean was it because I, I mean I get the feeling that you were 
both very Disney people, and I think Jungle has kind of a special place, obviously. It was, if I recall, I think it was just a two-day training. Um, I remember Ed Miller trained me. Ed Miller trained me on Jungle, on Columbia, on Mark Twain, on Shooting Gallery. <laughs> just just by, by luck of the draw, it was him. But, um, yeah, we had an opening shift one day and a closing shift the next. And I was given the spiel about a week in advance. Yeah. So at least I had... A little bit of a reading. A little bit, yeah. And, and, and I still have it, actually. Yeah. And so I, I had that. I think that was the most difficult part was obviously like everyone was trying to memorize yeah memorize everything it's um and then, and then being again being my first my first job it's like well I got all this stuff you're kind of soaking in you'll be, um protocols responsibilities um got a week. procedures yeah. we only got uh two days well no my actual, for, tra- for, my actual no, training was just no, two for, days for me I got the script oh, two oh, days, days before okay. and it's here you go mm. you have to learn it by day three yeah. So now, did you, uh, you know, obviously going into to music afterwards as, as you know, something that you do, did the experiences at Jungle carry through into being a musician? I've always wanted to ask people this, because it seems like, you know, you're improvising, you're doing comedy riffs. I mean, it seems like it's a really normal time. You're in front of people presenting yourself, other than That's- the actually, you know, having talent or skill, which, you know, <laughs> I certainly didn't have. But, you know, did it did it translate into... And being in front of a crowd and being oh, okay with it, or the only thing, and I apologize to everyone who's listening, the only thing Jungle did for me was got me comfortable speaking in front of a crowd. Yep. Because I remember on some of the earlier podcasts, you asked me what the favorite boats was. My favorite boat, I, I recall, was the Amazon because yep. it had the perfect seat to throttle mm-hmm. reach. You can, I, 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 I never, perfect. I never faced the crowd. You, you were always I, facing I, forward. I was. I, I faced the crowd as we left the dock, of course, you know, greeting them and everything. I faced forward because I don't like talking to people. I don't. I don't like being the center of attention. Funny being in a band, but um, <laughs> at least I, I, have, I, have a, I have a base to hide behind. So yeah. that's, that's what I look at. Yeah, it's a larger instrument. Right. But um, as far as telling jokes and all that stuff, I never consider myself a comedian. I never consider myself you know, funny. I'd tell the jokes, of course, and. Uh, yeah, if I hear some of the non-SOP ones, I would, yeah, I would, um, you know, see how they how how I could deliver them. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's, but, it's, but all in all, but I don't think people need to be. I don't. I really have always said that jungle is best for people who don't think they're funny. Yeah, and that's me. Because you yeah. get you get the drier sense of humor. You're that's you know you're delivering the lines in a little bit more. I, my two biggest pet peeves, and yes, there are some people who do this well. Mm-hmm. It's very rare. People who laugh at themselves. And people who shout on the microphone and are yeah. too loud. The, if, as a, both a guest and a skipper, those are the two things that always upset me. When you'd have people who would sit there and laugh and you know, like throw in like funny like background laughter, their own jokes. Yeah, no, I don't that, that never works. Yeah. So I always have back the dry sense of humor. Yeah, you know, I think the dry senses of humor were best. You know, even the and that's what one of the problems why why women had a little harder time was because they couldn't do the dry humor because they came off as bitchy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I was when I was a trainer, that was one thing I tried to tell people. It's like, I know you think you're supposed to speak, but it's not eight and a half minute stand up comedy show. Yeah, you know, here's here's what you're supposed well, to learn, and once I sign you off, then you can say whatever you want. But for training, this yeah. is what you're going to learn. Well, and there's pacing, and and you know the pace of it doesn't work if you're doing, you know, in an eight minute thing if you're doing 35 jokes. 
Yeah. You, you have to have spacing and you have to really time when it's going to hit people. So, right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not uh, not as easy as that. So what was, um, you know, we've talked a lot. It's funny that I we we talked about kind of the... You know the late '60s with uh, with Dawn. We talked about the early. We didn't even talk a, a lot about the '70s. I guess uh, Kevin Cavanaugh was kind of in the middle of that yeah. jungle. But um, you know, '70s were were a different time for Disneyland. It uh, had lost a little bit of the cachet from the '50s. Uh, obviously, Walt had, had was gone at that point. I think, if anything, Walt Disney World was seen as the place to go instead of Disneyland. What was I mean? What was the tone of people when they were coming in? At the well, time? one of the funny things about that, and that leads up into '84 with the strike and and all, was Disney was spending money on Florida, but what was keeping the company afloat was Disneyland. Disneyland yeah. always has been. The movie industry got a big boost with Eisner. I'm not an Eisner fan, but mm-hmm. he helped the movie aspect yeah. of it. Uh, well, Disney I, World Eisner's, couldn't get the people to come yeah. in and spend the time because most people were used to Disneyland where you came for a day. Maybe you came to the hotel to spend a night or one of the local hotels. But because you were buying a daily ticket, and, and we what, we had two-day tickets. We didn't have anything beyond two days. It was tickets. two days, yeah. Uh, it was like super so, cheap, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and I think that, I mean, it's... I mean, yeah, Disney World was a, was an investment in time and money to go down and do it. Right. You know, and I, I guess I haven't gotten into this. So the two things I think Eisner did right, because I mean, there was a lot of stuff that happened in that era. Um, I think the one thing was that he got Disney shows on television, animated shows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Disney Afternoon was, uh, it was the right shows, you know, you had, I'll wait for this cart to go by. <laughs> uh, you had DuckTales. Which, you know, uh, between DuckTales, Darkwing Duck, uh, you had Tailspin, which had so many Jungle Cruise jokes. I rewatched a couple episodes on YouTube recently. There are so many Jungle Cruise jokes in that, in that show. I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, I mean, it just kind of sticks. Well, I mean, granted, you have, a, ba- adult, yeah. you have, you have a bear, you have Baloo, who apparently can learn how to wear a shirt but, and pilot a plane, but not, not put on pants. Yes. Yep. Like, like Donald Duck. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, so you, he had that. I mean, he really did get the people into the park on that side. But I think that they did some smart things with uh, Touchstone and some of the, you know, moving Disney out of a very uh, straight niche of movies and diversifying it. Yes. And getting, getting uh, you know, some deeper tones in it. Because I think Disney would not have survived as a G-rated movie company only. I don't think where we'd be at, we would be at the point where they have Marvel and Star Wars and all the oh, things yeah. they're doing now if they wouldn't have started going after PG and PG-13 movies. Right, yeah. We see, Disney used to have, at the uh, Lincoln Theater, they used to let you go into the cast activities and you could get tickets to go see the releases of movies. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember the first one, which was Touchstone and Splash. Yep. And went in there with a friend, and we're sitting there, and it's... I think it was PG rated. Maybe yeah, it was R. Splash, no, yeah, Splash, it, was, no, it was PG. It was PG. Yeah. Splash was Splash was. Uh, and we're sitting in there watching the thing, and then all of a sudden, the clothes are off, and you're going, "Wait a minute!" But they didn't show anything. No, but it was still. Yeah, and it was like there was, was some Disney skin. Movie? There yes. was some skin. Yeah, and it was just like, "Whoa, this well, is." Well, well, the thing is, though, it's it was exactly as Kyle says. It was under Touchstone and not Disney. Yeah. So which. Yeah. 
if they wanted to branch off that way, it. then it separated. Well, and you yeah. had you had, uh, had Buena Vista also. Yeah, and then you had Down and Out in Beverly Hills was another one that yeah, was. was uh, but you know, the thing about Splash is you really can sum that movie up. It's like you know the TV Guide little mini listings. Uh, Splash should have been uh, Tom Hanks goes and tries to chase a little no. bit of tail. That would have been the ideal description of that yes, movie. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, and I did, did what was happening with Disney's reinvention, did, did it come across in the parks at the time? Did you start to see that they were taking better care of things? I would say no. Yeah. No, because the 80s were I, still a little dry for the 80s maintenance. The 80s were horrible, yeah, because uh, like, like Wayne, I'm not an Eisner fan, not many people here are, but um, the majority of the profits... Well, went, went, went to him. Yep. And because I remember hearing that one of the f- many things he did was he said, well, we're going to start raising the prices until people stop coming. Yep. And 10% turned around at the main entrance. Yeah. That was his exact quote. Yeah. Was when 10% of the people that go to the ticket booths turn around and go back to their cars is when we've reached. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and it was also in his contract... If I recall, any profit of nine percent or higher, he got three percent of something like that. Yeah. So there's prices. Well, but you know, it, and and, he, and, and, he, and the maintenance was, just kind of fell. The whole the whole place was yeah. kind of but you know he turning was, into a six flag. He was kind of prescient though about what's happening now with the price increases because if they raise the prices three percent, oh sorry five percent and three percent less people come. The park is at a point then that maybe it starts to get manageable with the crowds, and they're still making the same money, if not more. Yeah. Because right now, it, it is so difficult to, to come anytime during peak seasons when you've got X number. One of the few things that I have been uh, told that I shouldn't talk about is specific numbers of attendance. So, but when you have X, you know, X number of thousands of people at California Adventure and three times that number at Disneyland, you know, you get those numbers, and and how do you uh, support going with those kind of lines? I mean, Jungle exactly. Jungle has forty five minute to hour lines during the summer, and I, I that, that that was typical. Yeah, yeah, in the late seventies, early eighties, it was Jungle got hit first thing, and we had a line usually until about two or three in the afternoon. Yeah, and then it would kind of start start waning off a little bit. Yeah, now that was even before the uh, upstairs. Which was a big, yeah, big waste. I, I mean, it was a big waste for a while, but then I mean, it was like late '90s. Jungle was kind of on the down, the decline, so the upstairs wasn't used as much. Mm-hmm. But when, once we got into like oh three, oh four, oh five, it was open almost every was single it? day. Oh. Yeah, it, it definitely was. Well, and you were also at that point where you've got Toontown, you know, coming yeah. online. Not too, you know, you had the construction announcement in '81 or '82, I think it was. So I mean, that was all the changes that were happening at the yeah, park at the time. Fantasyland was down. Completely for a few years. Yeah. Well, if you did it. So, what was while you were working at, and this can be all of Disneyland, but I mean specifically Jungle. What was the what was the biggest perk for you? What was the thing that made it so that you enjoyed coming to do your job every day? Like, what's the thing you look back at and go, "This was the best part of working at Disneyland." Every day changed, and it's very similar to. Well, working Space Mountain, working Utopia, even working steam trains, and I can name other ones. There was always boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Jungle Cruise, because of the people that were on board the boat, the gun misfiring, 
uh, uh, maybe there were only two or three people yeah. on a boat that you could or you had that in, interaction with. The best one that I remember with the guests was these people came on board, very attractive young daughter, mom, very attractive dad and their son. And as they get get on the boat, and I'm talking to the daughter and the son a little bit, uh, we take off, we get to the bull elephants, and, you know, the sec- second most feared, you know, the African bull ele- elephant. Over here on the right-hand side, she happened to be on the right-hand side, my future mother-in-law busted up. The rest <laughs> of the cruise was spent almost all with I, them. I have to laugh that that... That one was in the script. It was in the script, yeah. You know, now it's been pulled out. The mother-in-law joke is, is not a fit. But it's it's funny how that was... But uh, I directed it at her, yeah, not at yeah. No, 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 that's what I'm saying. No, that's, that's hilarious. That's why, why it, you know, for me, that that was probably the most memorable other than, you know, people yeah. getting on, the, you know, certain people on the boats yeah. and all. I, I think it's the least button-pushing-y of the button-pushing yes. jobs. Yeah. I, I, think, I think the thing I liked most about Jungle is... When, you, know, you you leave the dock, you know, you're sitting there getting loaded and all this stuff, and you, you leave the dock, mm-hmm. and yeah, you're still in the confines of an amusement park, but for that seven or eight and a half minutes, mm-hmm. or nine or ten minutes, depending how slow you drive, river always ran better when I wasn't on it, <laughs> but um, you're out there, and you're kind of escaping, you're away from everything. Yeah. Even though, yeah, you're spewing, saying the same thing that you said, you know, you know, 27 times earlier today. Now you you cruise and doing the spiel, thinking, okay, what am I going to make for dinner? What I got? What errands I got? Got to run for the weekend. But you're still doing. You're going to be at Acapulco's when I get off. Oh, of course. Oh, I miss. I <laughs> but, I had but, friends, but before I worked at Disney, I had friends who were working at the park, and I went to Acapulco's for karaoke a couple nights. And when yeah. that when that went away, I was a I was a sad boy. That was a good place to. But, but that was probably the thing I liked best is that you're out there away from. The hustle and bustle. Sure. For kind of, it was kind of like a berm inside the berm. Right, mm-hmm. exactly, and was, yeah. And, and that was nice. You know, kind of go and kick back, especially on a nice day like today. Kind of take the trip a little bit slower, and especially back when we used to have off-seasons, when you would only be running uh, four boats in the, in yeah. the middle of oh, January, yeah. and you get like you know, eight people on the boat. <laughs> Those, but, yeah, and it's, you know, one of the things, I guess we haven't talked about this as much, is of the things that, that suck about jungle, the things that are genuinely unpleasant is when you're in weather you're in weather in jungle because they would yes. keep that ride running in the rain mm-hmm. and I remember, I remember having the you know the rain poncho things that we had to wear the, the, the for us they were like little plastic suits yeah. like little snap on yeah we had know, the rain suits the rain, yeah, the rain and the suits and the rain hats yeah. so we were out there and it until the boat started filling up with water they didn't care they would just keep us running and on, we, we on, would keep running until the water level got too high yep. But on, on cold days or wet days or ridiculously hot days, which luckily between those three there were remarkably few of in the time that I was there, global warning, warming, you know, be damned. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, it was, you know, it was challenging for uh, for weather. I mean, it just, you know, you get 100 degrees outside at Anaheim, it's 115 or 120 in the jungle because of the canopy. Exactly, yeah. So, but other than that, it was fantastic. But that's, that's I, I, I didn't mind working in the rain because I was always used to go real slow through the jungle like normal, let all the water pile up on the canopy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you see what's going. No, 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 yeah, no, no. Certain turns. Yeah. Boats rocking and. You hear people screaming. Yep. I, never, I never looked. 
I got recognized one time after a bunch of us. Our first summer there, we went on. Came, it was time back in after the park, and we were in line for um, America Sings. And I felt a tapping on my back. Uh-huh. I look back, and there's some some woman, and she says, "You're our Jungle Cruise skipper today." And I said. I was. How can you tell? She says, I recognize your back. <laughs> <laughs> and I, thought, I said, well, yeah, I probably was. <laughs> uh, so, so I thought that was, that was kind of funny. Everyone in the group, we, all, we were all jungle cruisers, and we all laughed. And they said, yeah, that's Pat. Yeah, this guy's back there. <laughs> uh, wait, how many, you were, you were referencing this second, how many different attractions did you, have you, did you know in the time you were there? Oh. All the Main Street vehicles, steam trains, parking lot. Um, loved driving the trams back then out in the parking lot. Yeah, that's right. Uh, now it's. I, I just wish that uh, I just wish that there was a rule that uh, the I'm listening to the construction noise uh, that the guys uh, driving the, the on the back of the trams uh, were told not to try to be Jungle Cruise skippers because there's just something about the level of. Uh, uh, I love how I love how we get the the leaf blower happens only when we are recording. Of course. Uh, let's see if it's actually coming through on the on the mic. But uh, all right, it's not too bad. But um, yeah, no, no. I think that the guys in the back of the tram should uh, should yeah. Be, yeah, they're not supposed to to tell now, jokes. Uh, it's basically the spiel and clear the trail stand, stand away yeah and then almost everything's supposed to be yeah um, yeah the other it's, part it's not that yeah. way yeah. Um, but I knew Space Mountain Utopia submarines I'm probably one of the few people that can admit that they were rear-ended by a submarine because I had now, in, in person or in a boat? I was in were a you submarine. In a, you were in a sub. In you, a sub. Weren't rear end, you weren't like just randomly rear-ended by a submarine. Yeah, I was in a submarine okay, with that, a cast member that came flying through oh, the falls that, that and rear-ended my submarine. Yeah. Yeah. Put me out uh, for almost a month on medical. Uh, and I forget how many cast members were injured. Um, jungle, shooting galleries, steam trains, tiki room... Uh, Swiss Family Treehouse, eighteen-ish, somewhere, 18? yeah. That's 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 a pretty big. Uh, I mean, out of you know sixty attractions in the park, that's that's a large majority. Uh, it's a, not a majority. It's a large percentage of of the attractions. What was other than jungle? What was your favorite to work? I loved parking lot during the summertime, even though it was hot. My seniority got the opening shifts, so yeah, I came in early and left. Um, I really didn't mind Space Mountain, uh, depending upon the crew, mm-hmm. um, because once again, during the winter time, would be in there. We were much slower, and so many times I would be at the group position, uh, directing people into which aisles to go into, and people, for the most part, would listen to you. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I dislike with annual pass holders are that they come all the time and they feel that they're entitled. Uh, and, you know, I hear that from lots of cast members that work here. Uh, and the times that I come and I see people and, and talking to them, you know, it's, well, I don't have to obey because I've spent all this money. My problem that I have is I look at the other end 
what about that person from Australia, from Japan, you know, Europe that comes and they're, they're still here for a ton of money. Yeah, they're coming for two or three days, four days, and in theory, they're spending the same amount because they're not well, buying a pass. In theory, they're spending they're more spending, money yeah. per day. So they're actually more valuable than the annual pass holders, yeah. which is what we're saying. Yeah. When, so. when annual pass holders would con- complain to me about something, the first thing they would say is, well, I'm an annual pass holder. And once they said that, as far as I'm concerned, this conversation's over. I'm not listening anymore. Well, and it's, I think, if I'm, if I'm going to look inside a crystal ball, I'm going to say that the annual pass program is going to become continually more expensive and it's going to eventually try to get the numbers of them down. I was reading something in the Orange County Register that it's something like, you know, 500,000 or something like that. It's a, it's a very large number. I heard it was close to a million. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, but it's a larger number than you would think. And, you know, it's I, I see them trimming that so they can make space for the people who want to come in on one or two day tickets and pay the money. Yeah. Right now, the, pre- the, uh, the premium with parking is $1,050. Yeah. For an annual pass oh, with when, parking, when did it go up? Because uh, last I checked, not too long ago, it was uh, it was, was six ninety nine. No, no, it's, it's uh, this last pa- price increase that they did because parking went up to seventeen. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, gosh, when was that? Uh, spring. But it was an overnight. Yeah, it was one of those Be- just like surprise ones because they oh. told they told the leads that it was going to take place the next day, and <laughs> people came in and. Everything went up. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's like I said, that's what I see is them continuing to raise prices until the the capacity starts dropping. And then for some reason it drops off. I mean, I don't think Disneyland is ever going to be at a point where we're going to see the the off times like that again. So, So, uh, Pat, how about you? Other than than Jungle, what did you enjoy working? Um, What was your favorite? uh, Well, actually, I I knew at one point 38 locations and attractions. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I didn't know anything in... New Orleans, Bear Country, and I didn't know routes. The no, I, I, knew, route. I knew all those. Yeah, I, I didn't know um, interventions and Honey I Shrunk the Audience or Monorail or the, or the main street vehicles. Yeah, I knew everything else. Son of a that I, I knew a lot. So I, I had a lot of opportunities to get pulled all over yeah. the place. I had no problem. With it. Heck, I even used to know the um, what was it called the R three sixty or whatever it was. And, it was oh, oh the yeah. one at the uh, it, it was in the in the, the arcade, uh, arcade. Yeah. and that was a actual B shift to get pulled to really yeah and and my, my seniority pulled pulled me there quite often I did I didn't know that it was that uh, was an actual B shift and yeah yet you operated the um, the, um, the 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 ride the um, yeah the, the simulator game. yeah but That's um, so funny I didn't yeah. know that that well, I thought that, I would have thought it midway or. You know, one of the companies was was. Yeah, uh, we, we had a uh, first or, or at least the the arcade yeah. staff. You know. Yeah. Well, my favorite to work, other than Jungle, is probably Matterhorn. I like, hmm. I like working Matterhorn. Yeah, Matterhorn is. I I love the new ride. The new ride system is so smooth. Hmm. Have you been on it in the last like? I few don't years? like the new sleds. Now it's too. Is it too too smooth? No, the the, the the new sleds where you're sitting, where they have them separated now. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I mean, I'm not the tallest person around, but I bang my knees and yeah, and all that. So I, I like the old sleds. The yeah, tandem? The tandem, yeah, the way you sit one in front of the other. Yeah. That's the fucking matter. Like used to. But um, I like the old sleds better. So. But that, that was one of my favorite rides to work. Yeah. And I worked uh, many a summer with Wayne also on, on space. And, of course, back then we used to run uh, 12 rockets in the summertime. Yep. 12 rockets at a uh, 19 and a half second dispatch. No, I thought it was, it was, it was no, yeah, faster it, than that. 
No, because 21 or 22 was with 10. I think we had... I know it was quick. We had 12 rockets and there was ver- basically no time huh. to, to back up. If you if you had prop, well, that was back when you could hop on the transfer cable and manually push the sleds. So when yep. the catapult fired, you were actually yeah, it was physically up, yeah. pushing them. And on the load dock, people huh. would be trying to help. help. We had those days in the first few summers of thunder too. Oh yeah, you know, pushing the, pushing the trains out of, out of the uh, out of the stations. And and it's so funny that now with you know with where everything's at. It, even the last 50, it's hard to imagine anything that would be that manually uh, intensive yeah. for it. So, yeah, because yeah, on on Thunder, the dispatches sometimes the trains weren't spaced out properly yet. They were still working out the the spacing and everything. So a lot of times that backup alarm would go through BZ4, and you're pushing down the dispatch button. The brakes are opening, and you had to get three or four of the cast members to uh, to push the train. Just to, and as as the front going through uh, the the front. Um, Switch. Track switch. Yeah. Those brakes are closing. Track switch fo- is, is opening up, and you're like, just just missing break, uh, breakdowns. So that was lots of fun. Timing. Yeah. Timing's everything. On the computer, you know, the language that they had written for the computer language, it was taking longer than it really should have mm-hmm. for it to acknowledge what it needed to do. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, you push, like you said, you push the button. You're expecting the linear motors to kick in and start, and it was like there was that gap of time before they would actually energize. Yep. So if yep. you weren't physically pushing them out, and yeah, now with Kaosha, no way yeah. would you be able to. Yeah. You know, they left us alone for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, there we go, everyone. The end of the first half of our chat with Pat O'Brien and Wayne Martin. Uh, you know, it's tough. We always try to find uh, these perfect moments to cut the episodes in half on. But uh, you guys get the point. Uh, sorry to cut it off in the middle, but uh, we will have the second half of this October 14th. Look forward to seeing you guys then. Kungaloosh, and thanks as always.